Thank you, Ed. Take your Bibles as we return again to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3 through 4. Uh, I do like that scripture so much because it is so much easier to remember the address. I uh, wish we had more of them like that we could pass on. We're in the process of sharing series. It's just, it's just exploded into my mind how deeply, deeply, deeply God loves people and how he will do anything and everything short of taking away our freedom to choose. He will do anything and everything to hedge us about and keep us from spending eternity separated from him. And so we're calling this series Roadblocks. These are God-given barriers to keep people out of hell. Now, last week we looked at the first of these roadblocks, and it's the entire message of the Bible. It's God's heart to mankind. And this is where it is imperative for us to understand <clears throat> that we are partnering. You and I are partnering with the Holy Spirit of God. Every time we share the gospel, every time we share our story about how we came to faith in Christ, we are partnering with the gospel to accomplish this. We're putting yet another one of those roadblocks in front of people to keep them from rushing headlong into eternal destruction. And we read earlier from 1 Timothy uh, 2, 3 through 4, that God wants all men, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will. You know, you don't have to wonder what God's will is there. He makes it abundantly clear that my will, my desire, I want all men everywhere to be saved. He puts it in the negative in 2 Peter 3, 9, when he says he is long-suffering and he's, he's patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Now, I'll tell you what that word all means. You remember, it means all. And anyone and every one means anyone and everyone. This is God's heart. And so the first block, roadblock is just the message of the Word of God. The second one I want to deal with today is the roadblock of the prayers of God's people. The prayers you pray and you utter for your friends and your family members stands as a spiritual roadblock, a spiritual barrier, screaming to lost people, do not rush, rush headlong into destruction. That's what the Word of God says. So let's pray together. Father, upon your Word, we are convinced that we can pray your will. And you are not willing that any person to perish. Rather, your will is you want all men to be saved. So when we come before you and agonize for our family and our friends that we long to see come to faith in you. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are praying your will. We are praying your desire. Encourage us in this today, Lord. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let me take a moment right off the bat to commend many of you who have spent literally years praying for somebody you love, somebody you're very concerned about, someone that you want to see come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
you are in a holy partnership with the Spirit of God. I want you to know that. I want you to sense that. And here's something else I want you to know. I can say this beyond any shadow of a doubt. Your prayers are heard before the throne of God's grace. God hears your agonizing prayers. You do not have to worry whether or not God is listening to you. You are praying in His will, and you're praying for the same people that He loves and longs to be saved as well. Your prayers are being heard. And when as I say that, let me just say, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't be discouraged. Listen, the one you love so much, the one you are most concerned about, listen to me please here, God loves that person more than you do. And he longs for that person to be saved more than you do. Your prayers are heard. Do not grow weary with well-doing. You stay after it. You stay with it. Now, I know some of you could complain, Brother Fred, you don't know how long I've been praying for that person. And you, don't, you have no idea how far they're going away from the Lord and how they're blaspheming His name and they don't want to hear anything. I know. I know it's frustrating. But I want, I want you to hear resonating in your heart the line of a song. We sang it last week. We're going to do it again this next week. The name of the song is Miracle Worker. But here's the line it says, Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. I want you to let that soak into the marrow of your bones as you continue to pray. God is at work. And even if you don't see it, he's working. Even if you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. Seeing your prayers come to fruition. Now, God is a God that will not violate your personal freedom or anybody else's. He will give you the freedom to hold him at arm's length for all time and for all eternity. But I want you to know that he will do anything and everything short of that to hedge those you love and you are praying for, directing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. I want you to know one other thing. If that person does not come to faith in Christ, are you listening? If that person does not come to faith in Christ, it does not mean you have failed. It doesn't mean you failed. You have been faithful. You have been obedient. You have been praying in God's will. You've done everything that you can do in prayer. Whether or not that person comes to faith is not a measure of how hard you've prayed or how well God has listened. Because like I said, God is listening and God is working. It's not a matter of failure. Let me tell you what it is. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of faith. 
Well, I believe God and believe prayer enough to continue to lift that loved one before the Lord even when I can't see God's hand at work? And the answer to that is yes. You can and we will. God's at work. And, and we see that as he called people to ministry and to prayer. As he called Saul to ministry, he says this, he, he sends Saul to open their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness to light, from the power of Satan uh, to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He said, go preach, go share the gospel in your story. Here is why I'm commissioning you. And Paul took that to heart. Paul took that to heart. And, and if you'll just read Romans 9, 10, and 11, but especially chapter 10, boy, you'll hear his heart. You'll hear his heart. He literally says in 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is that all of Israel would be saved. And as you move deeper into that chapter, you hear his heartbeat. And he gets to a point that he says, I think it's in verse 3, he said, you know, I would be willing to take the curse on myself if those I love could just be saved. Pray with that passion. Pray with that relentlessness that you will not give up. And that's, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, is to win that lost loved one of yours to faith in Christ. Jesus said, the Son of Man is coming to seek and to save that which is lost. So, so I want you to know that God is at work. I want you to be affirmed in your prayers. And don't give up. Don't grow weary with well-doing. Stay with it. God is hearing, and God is at work. So, I, I want to share with you four, four compelling reasons to me, four compelling reasons that I need to be constant and consistent in my prayers for those who I know in the heart, my heart, to be lost. Let me share those with you. First is this. We should pray because this is God's heart. This is God's heart. The most memorized and memorable passage of Scripture is probably John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's heart. And many people know that verse. Many people don't know what follows after that where it says, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he goes on to say that the, the person who believes in him already is not condemned, but the person who refuses to believe, and that's our lost friends, folks, the person who refuses to believe is condemned already because he has refused to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But keep in mind, this is God's heart. He's not willing that any should perish. He's really willing that all would come to faith in Him. And there's no limits to that. He, all means everybody. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
The Bible tells us that. When someone who is lost dies, God doesn't stand up there and say, well, there you go, I got you. I told you if you didn't straighten out, this is what I'm going to do to you. You're going to get just what you deserve. That's not the heart of God. God agonizes at the deathbed of lost men and women. Knowing that he's done everything he could except wrench choice out of their hands. To hedge them about and bring them to the gospel. God's love is broad and, and, and vast. I love that wonderful hymn that we sing from time to time. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Oh, I love that. Because, see, that's where I was. And that's where many of you were. Among those vilest offenders. But then you truly believed. And in that moment from Jesus, your pardon received. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You partner with the Holy Spirit of God when you pray for your family and dear, dear friends. So understand that. And, and God is totally agreeing with you in prayer that they can be saved. And he's at work doing everything he can to answer that prayer. Secondly, we, we should pray earnestly and, and tenaciously for our friends and family because of God, Christ's sacrifice. Because of what he did, because of the cross of Christ. I love to sing about the cross of Christ. Because that is what he paid for my ransom and yours. That's what it took. It took the lifeblood of the Son of God to redeem me. To redeem you. And for his sake. And in honor of his sacrifice, we ardently pray and share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, remember this. He came for you. He came for you. And that's why you're probably here today. And as much as he loves you and as much as he came for you, that's how much he loves and cares for and came for that person you're praying for. You and God are tied in this. You and God are on the same page with this. So take heart and be encouraged. We should pray because of God's heart and because of Christ's sacrifice. And like I said earlier, I think we should pray because of Paul's example. Paul's example. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. There, there are folks in my life, folks in my family, friends, friends I have, that I'm longing to see them saved, and I'll pray for them regularly. But there's not been a one of them yet that I've been willing to say, Lord Jesus, I'll give up my place in heaven and take their place in hell if you'll just save them. But that was Paul's heart. That's what he, he was saying. In essence, Lord, I will be damned if they can be saved. Whew. 
Can you imagine praying with somebody that prays like that? <laughs> I mean, what a prayer meeting that would be. But with, even if you can't work up that much intensity, even with the kind of fervor that encourages that. Because of Paul's great example. But finally, I want to point out this to you. We should be encouraged to pray because of their condition. Because of their condition, the condition of the lost men and women we're praying for. You know, the Bible makes abundantly clear, especially the New Testament, the spiritual condition and the eternal destiny of those who refuse Jesus Christ. The Bible says they're blind. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the Im Christ, who is the image of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. They are captive of the devil. That's what 2 Timothy 2.26 says. They pray that they would escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Yeah, that's their condition. They're condemned. As we referred to earlier in John 3.18. Whoever believes on him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe condemned, is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says spiritually they are dead. I was dead before I came to faith in Christ. Spiritually stone cold graveyard dead, and so were you. Ephesians 2.1 says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's how the Bible talks about our, our loved ones. Not only that, they're bound for eternity without God. Whew. I just, I can't. That just flows all over me. And they are damned and determined to go to hell. They're hopeless. Again, Paul refers in Ephesians 2, 12. They're without hope and without God in this world. And they can't grasp this spiritual truth. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Because they're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're only spiritually discerned. That means you've got to have Holy Spirit within you to understand that. You know, any one of those topics is worthy of a sermon. But when you put them all together, it says they're blind and they think they see. They're dead and they think they're living it up. They're captive and they think they're free. They're helpless and they think they can do anything. They're without understanding except they know everything. And they're bound to hell while they think they're going to go to heaven because they've done more good than they've done bad. We need to earnestly pray because it's God's heart. It was Christ's sacrifice. It was Paul's example and their eternal condition. And hear me, folks, our prayers are heard. When I was in seminary, I found an awful lot of mentors and heroes. One of them was a pastor named John Howell. John taught our life and work of the pastor class 
And I just fell in love with him. We attended church when we could. I was pastoring at the time, but we, we attended there when we could. John Howell was a third-generation pastor uh, evangelist. And he shared a story one day that I want to share with you now. Before he came to that particular church, <clears throat> he was an evangelist full-time. He went from church to church, and he loved going to small country churches. And his pattern was this. He would go to that church about a month, two months ahead of time, and he would establish a prayer team that would be saturating the community in prayer. And so as he went to this one particular church <clears throat> he was talking about, the pastor had gathered together some of the prayer warriors within his church, some of those who were known to spend their time on their knees with an open Bible agonizing for lost people. And John said, here's what I want us to do. I want us to agree on the most notorious sinner in the county. The person that we believe that if they got saved, it would open floodgates for others to be saved. Who is that person? And a lady in the prayer group raised her hand. And John said, yes, ma'am. And she said, that would be my husband. And the pastor and everybody in the room agreed. That's the most notorious sinner in our county. And if he ever got saved, oh, how it would open the floodgates of heaven. And so they agreed to be praying for a lot of different people, but especially praying for him. John returned a month or two later, and all that time they'd been praying. Of course, this precious woman had been praying for years. And so they gathered with the pastor, uh, the pastor and he gathered together, and they prayed fervently, and they made an appointment to go out and see this man, called his wife, let him know he was coming. And the pastor told John, says, now listen, I need you to understand, I've been run off his property twice. And the last time, with the barrel of a gun, John says, well, okay, we're going to go in faith. And so they drove up, and they saw him out at the edge of the field. The tractor was pulled just off the field, and they had a toolbox out, and he was working on his tractor. And so they got out, and they walked over there to him. John said, I stood there one foot towards him, and the other one ready to turn around and run. <laughs> but he said, sir... We've come to talk to you today about your soul. The man stood up, dropped his wrench, wiped his hands with a greasy rag, threw it down, put his hands on his hips. He said, men, I've been thinking a lot about this recently. I'm glad you came. John says after he got his jaw shut, they got down in the dirt and knelt and led that farmer to faith in Christ. But that's not what the story was about. After they got up from their knees, John asked, Who would you most like to tell that you've come to faith in Christ today? And he said, Oh, that'd be my woman. So, well, where is she? 
Well, I expect she's in the house. So they walked out of the field to the house, a modest little clapboard house, hallway down the middle, rooms off to either side. They stepped in and there was an eerie silence, an almost holy hush. The only sound was the fan in the window. This was long before air conditioning. The fan in the window humming in the parlor. Very reverently, they walked down the hall and they looked in the parlor. And there they saw her, kneeling in front of the fan that looked out on the field. Her eyes were closed, her hair blown back, streaks of tears from her eyes matting her hair, her voice hoarse just a little above a whisper. God, save my man. God, save my man. God, save my man. The farmer fell to his knees beside her and said, I'm here. He's answered. I've accepted him. Your prayers are heard. How long had she been on her knees? How long had she been weeping for her husband? We'll never know. But God heard. And he did everything in his power short of taking away that farmer's freedom of choice. To hedge him about. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. Don't grow weary in well-doing. The prayers of the righteous avail much. And listen, the prayers of the saints linger in heaven long after they're dead. Long after they did, they're echoing down the halls of heaven. I share a story that a pastor friend of mine sent me. We were talking about this one day, and he said, let me send you something that happened in prayer meeting one night. I want to read it to you. Some years ago, as I was about to close prayer meeting, a young man got up, and he asked everyone to be seated for just a moment, as he urged everyone in the room, especially the young men, to accept Christ. He said this, I once had a father and mother who cared for my soul more than anything else in the world. I could hear them often in their bedroom praying for me. At last, my father died. And when my father was dead and gone, my mother was more anxious than ever to know that heaven was my home. She would often put her loving arms around my neck, kiss my cheek, and whisper in my ear, you need to give your heart to Christ. I sympathized with her, and I wanted to be a Christian, but I wanted to see the world. I, I, 
I wanted to live a Christian life, but only after I had enjoyed my life. Sometimes I would wake up long past midnight and hear her voice in her bedroom, crying out to God for her boy. I was her only child. And I felt that I either had to become a Christian or I need to get away from that house. And so I left. I'd been gone a long time when I heard from a friend that my mother had taken sick. I knew what that meant. She was pining for me. I knew her heart was broken because of me and my wayward life. But I also knew that if I were to go home, that I would have to become a Christian. I could not stay under her roof without accepting Christ. And so my rebellious heart said, I will not go. A few weeks later, I heard again that my mother was much worse. And so I had no choice. I had to start for home. I got off at the bus stop in town and knew the shortest distance home was through the cemetery. I would go by my father's grave and pay my respects as I went home to see my mother. As I drew near the grave, my heart began to beat more quickly. It was dark and the light of a full moon. But there by my father's grave, I saw there was a new dug grave. I realized my mother had already died. For the first time in my life, this question stole into my soul. Who will pray for my soul now? Father and mother were gone. I knelt down beside the mound of dirt, crying out to God to have mercy on me and crying out to my mother for not coming home sooner. I didn't leave that grave for the rest of the night until morning dawned. But as the sun came up, the Son of God was in my heart. So I say to all of you young men here today, do not break your mother's heart. Hear her prayers and turn to her Lord. That woman did not fail because she never saw her son saved. Her prayers continued long after she was in the grave. I want you to know, dear friends, you are partnering with the Spirit of Holy God in a spiritual enterprise when you agonize for loved ones who were lost. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And for those of you here today, for those of you watching by media, like this young man, you have yet to give your heart to God. Listen to me very, very carefully. God will allow you to march headlong into hell. 
But he is going to put roadblock after roadblock, barrier after barrier between you and your eternal destiny to keep you from going to hell. The message of his Bible and the prayers of God's people are two of those roadblocks. And listen to me very carefully. You're going to have to climb over them, walk around them, dig under them, find some way to get around them and ignore them to find yourself lost in hell. And part of the agony when you get there will be to hear the agonizing cries of those who've loved you and to hear their prayers for the rest of eternity. God will do everything in his power because it is his will for you to be saved, for you to come to faith in Christ. He will not take your freedom of choice away from you, but he's putting every roadblock he can in your way to keep you from spending eternity away from him. I want us to pray. I want us to pray a two-pronged prayer. The first prong, I want us to pray for one another that we might be faithful and diligent in our prayers for lost friends and family. That we not grow weary and we not give up. And that we receive the encouragement of God today. And then I want us to pray. Some people here, many people at home, I want to pray for those that have not yet made this decision and haven't given their heart to God, that today would be the day. Will you join me as we pray together? Father, we're never praying more in your will than when we're praying your will. And your will is that every person would come to faith in you and know the truth. It is not your will that any person should perish and spend eternity apart from you. And so we agree with you, Almighty God. We agree with you concerning your will for our lost family and friends right now. We also dare to believe that as much as we love them, you love them more. And we can trust your heart to put every roadblock at your disposal between them and everlasting damnation, including our prayers. Encourage us, Holy Spirit, to stay with it, knowing that you're working and you never stop. And right now, Father, I want to pray for those men and women, students, boys and girls that are watching or listening or here today that they've never come to that place that they've surrendered their hearts and lives to you. May they know your heart, God, that you do not want to see them lost. It's not your will that they would go to hell. If they die without you, they're going to paddle their own canoe all the way. But at every junction, you're putting up roadblocks to where they're going to have to climb over their mama's prayers 
and sidestep the word of God and every other roadblock to make it into eternity without you. Thank you for loving them so much, Lord. And even today, some may be right here. And they may be saying, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea God loved me so much. I had no idea so many people were praying for me. I had no idea what my eternal fate could be. So God, right now, I ask you to come into my heart. Save me. I dare to believe Jesus died to take my sins upon himself and rose again that I can have his life. Come, Lord Jesus, and cleanse me. Forgive me. Set up residence in my life. I want to give my life to you. I want to be saved right now. And Holy Spirit, I know by the promise of your word, you've never, ever refused a prayer like that. And there are some here today in the sanctuary and watching at home who today they've made that decision. And we want to celebrate with them, Lord. So in the next few moments here in the sanctuary, as Ed leads us in this closing song, I pray you'll encourage them to step from where they are in their pews and come just be seated here on the front row and let Eric or Derek speak to them and encourage them and welcome them into your family, Lord. Father, we just want to celebrate. Angels in heaven are celebrating. We want to celebrate. It's time for us to do business with you. So, Lord, as we sing, may those decisions be made. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Will you stand, please? As Ed leads us in this song, I'm praying that you'll have the courage to do what God wants you to do right now.